On today's show, we're going to discuss whether CP3 is now the point guard, how the Bears will ruin Justin Fields, and something is missing for Chicago baseball on both sides of the city. After that, it's going to be fan mail and the trivia question of the week. But first, I'm Chris, and I'm smooth as butter. I'm Alex, and Fuego Navarro. And I'm Peter, who's asking? And you're up against the hard can. All right. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you tonight? Doing good, man. It's a good day. Feeling good. Not good for, it's not a good day for Ben Simmons, but it's a good day. Well, he didn't have many of those in the last week. No. We're going to have to discuss him as far as trades are concerned coming up soon, because that is going to be an interesting target for some teams. But anyway, that's not why you called. Guys, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This is our first episode of the, uh, of the podcast, and um, I don't know. It's, it's something that, uh, that I think we're going to have a lot of fun with. Um, I, you know, I've already, we've already introduced, introduced ourselves, but, uh, but my name's Peter. Um, and then we've got Alex and Chris. In Fuego. And, uh, in, well, of Thank course, you. In Fuego. Full name. Naturally. Middle name. Thanks. Did you change your name, your middle name officially to In Fuego? Yeah, like Ocho Cinco. I had to do it. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like just, you really bought oh. into that. So that's a good, it's a good I idea. Mean, I have I have a smooth shot, so it, it matches. Yeah. But. It's true. I mean, that is how you are in my cell phone, too. So that, that makes perfect sense. It only costs $85. I mean, why not? Go for it, dude. I, I also want to give a, a quick shout out to, you, you can't hear him, uh, but our producer, uh, Juicer Cash Money. Uh, thank you, sir, for uh, all your hard work behind the scenes, man. Appreciate you. Let's roll into it. What do we got first? All right. All right. Sounds good. So, um, you know, you guys heard me talk about it here. Um, Chris Paul, you know, a lot of people think that he's... I don't know, just a guy who chokes at the end, who just doesn't know what he's doing. But this year, he's kind of proven himself to be just the point guard you want. And he's, what, in his mid to late 30s now, 36, 37? What do you guys think? Is he actually, like, the best point guard in the NBA, like, of all time now? I'm going to go with yes. Um, and I know that, hey, you know, it'd be hard to argue with the all-time piece because career's not over yet, right? We, we've got a lot of um, sample size to look at when it comes to point guards. But um, right now, for sure, um, the dude has it together. Uh, I feel like he's a good leader. Um, he's a good distributor. Uh, keeps the pace of play going. I don't know, man. It's, it's hard to argue that there's anybody right now that's better than him uh, as a floor general. What do you think, Alex? So, Okay. <laughs> As far as right now, completely agree with you, Chris. I think he's one of the best point guards, if not the best point guard right now. Um, it's kind of it's kind of interesting his evolution, because if you look at you know two thousand eight, nine, ten, the discussion was between him, uh, Ray John Rondo, and Darren Williams. And, and the fun thing is, uh, back then, everyone was saying that Darren Williams is the best point guard. And you know, I had to deal with you know a lot with the uh, you know his playoffs and not being in in it at the time, and uh, Andrew Williams having early success. Uh, then later on he gets in, but you know they they've had the bad luck with um, you know the Clippers and uh, and the Houston Rockets, so it's kind of a bad narrative has developed around him. But then after that, um, what do you have? You have OKC and you have the Suns. This kind of changed that narrative because I thought he was done in the water when he went to OKC. I thought his his career was over. He has he has a bad contract. No one's going to want him. But he he completely changed that team around. Brought them to the playoffs. 
unexpectedly, and they did they did wonderfully. And then now this year with the Suns, first time in the playoffs, um, looking like they're in the brink of, of going to the NBA Finals, which is which is amazing. So yes, now I think he is the best point guard, but of all time, Peter, I, I can't give him that. John Stockton, <clears throat> um, as much as huh. I don't. <laughs> like hold on, hold I on. love old basketball. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Uh, Let me uh, really bring up John Stockton as your yeah. first option here. You John Stockton, your goat, Alex. Let me finish. No, no, I'm just saying of, of all time, John Stockton, best assister, best uh, top top of the assist, top of the steals, and then you had Magic Johnson, of course, with his championships, and you got Zeke with two championships <laughs> in Boston, in uh, in Detroit. So you you, I can't put him as the best point guard of all time. But he's definitely in the in the conversation. I think he's if he's in top ten, if not top five. But so, um, I, I mean, I, Alex, I, I I'm I'm kind of with you there. I think Chris Paul still has a couple steps to go before he be, he can become the goat. In my opinion, I still have Isaiah Thomas as the greatest point guard of all time. I mean, that man could do anything. He was playing against Michael Jordan at Jordan's best, and he was putting Jordan out of the playoffs. I mean, you. Isaiah Thomas was just the best. Uh, Magic Johnson was an extremely close second to that. And then, yeah, you've got you guys like John Stockton, Jerry West, Oscar Robertson. But I think Chris Paul, right now, he's just below Magic. And if he gets a championship or two, he's really got a chance. We'll see. Wait, we'll you you said he's I... just below Magic or just below Thomas? Magic. Okay. So... Honestly, for me, it's the championship. It's it, okay. it really is the fact that he hasn't won a championship yet. Um, I, I love love this Suns team right now and just the way that they're playing, even without him, they've got to be the favorites. I, I know that yeah. the Clippers are stacked, but Kawhi Leonard, we don't know what's going on with him right now. Um, I, I really think that the Suns, I mean, they're going to do it this year. Yeah, I agree with that. The, the Suns are, you know, you guys know from past conversations we've had uh, how I feel about the Suns this year. Um, I feel strongly that they're going to take it. Um, they've got the right mix. You know, they just have the right mix on that team. Uh, and they, they, have, really do. they have a strong leader. And, you know, Alex, I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, six times Chris Paul's led the league in steals. Four times he's led the league in assists. That's not yeah. John Stockton when it comes to assists. Um, so I, I'll give you that. Absolutely uh, the, not. The scoring is there. Um, and I think... Obviously, to your point, Alex, um, the league was different back then. So Stockton, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot of times. Stockton had to play up against a much more physical, um, you know, brand of basketball. But this is way more entertaining nowadays. <laughs> I just got to throw it out there. It's it's more fun. It's it's more fun to watch. You you know, you watch these classic games. It's everybody's getting beat up constantly. Uh, this feels more flowy and more fun. Uh, no, I, I agree. Actually, and it was it was uh, fun. I think Tim Legler went on ESPN today, um, just kind of talking about how the game has changed. How it, he doesn't even consider it the game the same game as it was in the '90s because of the physicality. It's oh. it's, it's been taken right. away completely. So it's just, it just looks different. But um, I'm a bit of a old head. Um, I, I do prefer the '90s, but I did agree with his statement where um, you know, and, and with you too, Chris, that. This is a fun game to watch. It's it's not '90s basketball, but it's but it's still fun. I'll give you it that. is always going to be fun. This is this is the part of the show uh, where you know even in our practice runs, 
Alex uh, likes to mute himself in mid-sentence. So this is oh, the yeah. part of the show where Alex mutes himself uh, with his uh, face on his microphone. <laughs> and we fill the time until he figures out where the mute button is. And and in order to fill this time, I actually want to bring something up that our, our intrepid producer, Juzer, has uh, has been just spamming, just absolute spamming, spamming away with right now. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to give you some similarity scores for this person that Juzer believes is the best point guard of all time. So similarity scores through 10 years. Um, we've got Rory Sparrow, Raymond Sessions, Ricky Davis, Brandon Jennings, Chris Duhon, Vernon Maxwell, and Patty Mills. Can you guess who that is, Chris? Patty Mills? No, those are the similarity scores for the person that I'm describing. Yeah, and my point is, can anyone guess who Patty Mills is? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, How I can't. Dare you, sir. I, I, I don't, I honestly, I can't Alex, guess Alex, a be. guess, now that you're back with us, a guess from you, Alex? I'm sorry, what were the names? Patty Mills. The similarity scores? Sure. Similarity, of course, yeah. I'll repeat that. No problem. We've got Rory Sparrow, Rory Bob Sparrow. Weiss, Bob Raymond Weiss. Sessions, Ricky Davis, Brandon Jennings, Chris Duhon, Vernon Maxwell, and Patty Mills. Howard Isley? I have no clue. <laughs> the one, the only, Pooh Richardson. Ah, uh, Pooh Richardson. All right. My man. <laughs> now, Juzer, I see that you aren't you aren't connected as far as audio is concerned, or or are you? Can just chat if you can say something. Oh, that's a shame. I, I really wanted to have him defend his decision here because uh that's just not right. I think he just anyway. likes as as most basketball fans, I think he just likes the name. Pooh Richardson. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't name will be free, another great basketball name oh, in, in the one. And the uh, classic Dickie Simpkins. Dickie. Oh, yeah. Dickie Not to be Simpkins. confused with his Dickie Smipkins jersey mix-up back in the day. <laughs> what was the uh, the lamest nickname uh, in basketball? The lamest nickname? Lamest. I would say, I would say lamest or I wouldn't say worst, but just the lame, lame nickname. That's a good question. Chris, you have any thoughts on that? No, that's a bad question. I don't like your question. I'm going to throw that question out. out. But I, I was just saying it to bring up uh, Skeletor. Remember, uh, actually, I think, was that anything that I we feel like? I, was yeah, I don't here, think man. that was his official nickname. No, I think that was, uh, <laughs> that was Lamorne, you, me, calling him Skeletor. And then, and then we looped Peter in on that, and I'm pretty sure that he couldn't stop. He oh, loved him. He ate it up. And then, uh, and then Nervous Purvis. Uh, but I think that was intentional just because uh, he, he – played poorly in <laughs> most games. But anyway. Coming from a bunch of guys who couldn't make it on most rec league teams. Hey, listen, man. We we had <laughs> the best wow. intramural team between 1999 and 1999. All right? <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> All right. What else we got? <laughs> oh, boy. We don't, we're not going there right now. We've got too much time. We're not going there. How about we cut to our first break right now, shall we? Break 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 and we're back yeah i know we didn't quite end that first segment it just kind of faded away but i'm uh, i'm happy to definitely be moving on here i know that we're excited we're going to watch the game tonight and then um and then i'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about as far as the nba playoffs are concerned but 
from the NBA playoffs to a hopeful playoff bid by our hometown Chicago Bears. Um, Chris, Alex, this year, the Chicago Bears did something that they've only done once in the last five years, which is trade up to get a quarterback in the first round. Turned out well the last time with uh, Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, let's not talk. Well, you know, you say I'll once like, in the last five years, like you know, it's this big thing. I bring it up because <laughs> the Bears don't exactly have the best track record with quarterbacks, whether it be, you know, getting good ones when they're actually good or training them to be better. It just tends not to work out. So my question to you guys is, how are the Bears going to screw up Justin Fields? <laughs> Alex, I, I'd like to start with you on this one. You know what? I don't think they will. I, I think uh, they're doing, uh, you know, I, a lot of Bears fans are upset that um, Matt Nagy and, and the team have already named uh, Andy Dalton the, the starting quarterback of the season. And, and they're fine with that. I, I'd really prefer them to just kind of slowly bring him along, not, not throw him into the fire and, and just make sure that he understands everything that he needs to do once he gets onto the field. Uh, in Justin Fields, but I really think that he's going to be a phenomenal quarterback. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes, but he's going to be uh, a good quarterback for a long time for this team. And and I'm I'm really excited to see what he does. I'm glad you brought up Mahomes. How many games did Mahomes sit behind Alex Smith before Mahomes started? I think he sat for a year. He sat for a whole year. He he played the final game in season one. Okay. okay. So. You know, I know it's an old school line of thinking and they catch a lot of flack for that, right? Where, oh, you know, you got to sit your your rookie and you got to let him learn behind the starter. What are they learning behind a cruddy starter, right? I'm not saying that Andy Dalton is cruddy. Andy Dalton is the more accomplished quarterback here, obviously, and he's got more stats to back him up than anybody that's been playing for the Bears at quarterback for the last few years. Um, and probably is going to be the best quarterback that Allen Robinson has played with in his entire career. However, sad statement. Um, it, it's true though. And so yeah, it, here's the thing: disagree. I'm not completely against them sitting Justin Fields for a while here and letting him, you know, see what the speed of the game looks like from the sideline. But you're really not going to learn if you can handle that pressure until you're in the game. And is right. he in the right spot right now to be able to go under center in a in a professional football game? Who knows? You know, there's only one way to find out, and that's to get him out there. So it'll probably exactly. take an injury to Andy Dalton, uh, which my prediction is will happen, whether it's a real injury or a fake one, uh, by well, week let's, four. Let's not predict injuries here. That's not fun. Yeah. Week four. Let's, let's not do that. You, you think week four? You think week, week four? He'll... Week four. Okay. <laughs> well, so, I think, oh, I, I think, yeah, go ahead, Peter. Well, I was going to say, you bring up Pat Mahomes. I'm going to bring up another rookie who actually played from the first snap named Russell Wilson. And he ended up having a pretty darn good year himself. I don't right. think that it, it really makes a difference. I really think it depends on the quarterback. And from everything we've seen about Justin Fields, everything we're hearing about Justin Fields, he seems like the guy who's ready to start day one. Mahomes didn't start because he was in a collegiate system that really didn't mesh with the NFL. He needed a year to kind of sit down and watch how the NFL game worked. But Justin Fields was at Ohio State. He knows. He knows. He was essentially in an NFL-style offense already. Like So So I, I really think that he's the guy that can start day one. And if he doesn't, it's really it's a money thing. It 100% would be a money thing. 
How many games did you start at Ohio State last year? All of them. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how many games started. But for, for Russell Wilson, it was, it was definitely you, – you felt the energy. You felt that he was – the leader of the team. I forget who he beat mm-hmm. out. Was it was it Matt Hasselback or I forget? No, nope. it was another. It was another. No, no, uh, Matt that came over Flynn, for right? It was uh, yes. yeah, Matt Flynn, and they paid yeah. Matt Flynn a bunch of money. Tons, his tons first of money. Yeah, tons of money. Yeah. So you expected that he was going to start, but uh, you know, it was, it, you could tell. You could tell. You know, everyone felt the energy that he was going to be the, the leader of that team, and uh, it's it's a it's a shame that they're not doing that with Fields because I think he could bring that same energy, that same mentality, but. At the end of the day, it doesn't hurt. it doesn't hurt them to sit down, but it, it does hurt them to bring them in early. So that's why I'm fine with them making the decision that they're just going to sit them now. I don't think it's going to be for the whole year. I think I think it's going to be closer to week eight that uh, they they eventually bring him in because I don't think Elton, Andy Dalton is going to do well. <laughs> we don't have a great offensive line, but that's another reason why I'm fine with them sitting him down because we don't have a great offensive line yet. We have. We had that rookie that we, we drafted at, at right tackle. Um, I, I, what else did we do? I, I think we had made one more move um, uh, in the draft to bring in a, a guard. But, I mean, it, it, it was a late round guard. Yep. Yeah, they could be great. They could, do really, they could mesh really well early on. But, you know, you don't, you don't know that yet. You want, yeah. you want Alex, to build that together. So, to your point, say, the, the USA wait. Today ranked the Bears' offensive line as one of the worst. Yeah, coming into this 2021 season. But I mean, that's kind of what, you know, rookie quarterbacks have those issues. I I'm, I'm 100% in the camp where they need to, they need to play and they need to be out there and learn how the game. I mean, I think Russell Wilson came in and took a good offensive line. And that was another thing with him as well. But I, I know, I know Justin Fields can move around, but I, I'd rather him sit and, and, and just wait and, And here's the thing. The reason I brought up the game started last year. So obviously played a full season in 2019, played only eight games in a shortened season in 2020. Uh, You know, that's that's COVID related. Sure. So the reason I bring that up is to back up my argument as to why I'm not really that against him sitting for a bit, because he's going to get more repetition in practice. He's going to get to play against, you know, uh, hopefully. Uh, at practice, which is not, you know, it's not the real thing. Uh, it's not in a game, but it'll start to get his timer going, his internal clock, um, get some of the muscle memory going at an NFL speed somewhat, then get him into a game. Sure. Between week four and week eight, I, I think it will happen at some point in that range. Uh, but at least he's got a little bit more familiarity and he has some more time that way to really soak up that, that offense, which, you know, looked complicated with Mitch Trubisky behind center, but who knows if it's really that complicated. It's funny because with Mitch Trubisky, he toned it down. So if it looked, it looked complicated with Mitch Trubisky, then, you know, it, that's, that's a, a really toned down uh, version of what Matt Nagy wanted to do on offense. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see him out there, Peter. I'd love it. I'd love it as a fan of the bears. And we, you know, try not to be a homer here, but. As a fan of the Bears, I'd love to see him out there. I'm excited. I bought a jersey. I got it right here. But, <laughs> you know, I want the guy to do great, and I want to see a long career for once at quarterback in Chicago. I, I don't think four games to start off the season is going to mean that he won't have a long career. I, I do think that uh, – I, I think that the Bears are going to need to let him start. I think he's going to prove it to them during training camp that he should be the starter. 
I that's hope so. what I think is going to happen. I hope so and too. I think That'd he's going to make he's going to force Matt Nagy's hand because yeah. he's been playing so well, and that's really what we're looking for. Because Chris, like you said, as far as snaps and all that is concerned in practice, the you know the the starting QB gets a majority of the snaps. Now, obviously, because he's a QB or because he's a rookie, he'll be getting more snaps throughout the season regardless, even if he is second string. But it still makes a huge difference. And he's going to be able to practice with the first team, get comfortable with his offensive linemen, you know, just be able to do his job that much better if he can start from the beginning. You're probably right. It's, you know, it's just me having a hard time shaking off that old school mentality, which is so ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's test. It's it's gone through so many QBs. Roger sat. Uh, Tom Brady sat. You know, it's it's happened plenty of times. So it's it's not. You know, it's it's a proven has a proven track record. How do we know? I'm, How do we know I'm, it's proven? How do we know they do, they wouldn't have crushed it if they came in and and played from? They could one? have. They, they could have. have. But but how many more QBs have gone in too early, and and failed because of that? So you're saying you want us to compare the good news from your side with the bad news from our side? Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying I'm fine. He, he very well should be or could be the starting QB week one. I'm fine with them sitting him down just to make sure 100% that he's ready to go when he's ready to go. I guess I'm so torn at this point. <laughs> it's hard for me. You know, I'd love to see him out there. I'd love it. Yeah. It'd be fun. It'd be it'd be so fun. Um, I'm so I'm so drafting him in, in our Fancy football league. It's still going to happen. <laughs> That's because you're stupid. Uh, of course. Good luck with that. <laughs> I'm good. But I've slept the last few years. Why not another year? <laughs> that doesn't match all the trash talking you were, you were spitting my way before. <laughs> with Justin Fields, I mean, it's just worth it. Sorry, Chris. Oh, my goodness. We should That's do usually league. my job to pick up the Bears players just so I can have Bears players, Alex. You can't do that to me. <laughs> If anybody listens to this podcast, they're going to be real glad they're getting some advice from people who are a bunch of homers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's hear it for the Bears. Bear down. We are not going to do the Saturday Night Live thing. Alex, don't even try. All right. Saturday Night Live thing? What was that? Exactly. That's what I like to hear. And on that note, let's go to break number two. By the way, did you guys uh, think about making up your own? advertisements for this uh, first episode since we're not going to have any real ones? No, because I don't want to risk copyright infringement. Uh, do you want to, do you guys want to hear my commercial that I wrote? Yes. Go ahead. <clears throat> have you ever wondered what happened to predictability? The milkman, the paperboy, evening TV. <laughs> do you miss your old familiar friends? Well, her waiting just around their bend at oldpetersvideobarn.com. Here at the barn, you'll be able to stream all your classics from old school episodes of ABC's TGIF programming, including the original commercials. And that's it. All of your favorites like Kimmy Gibbler, Mr. Feeney, and even Stefan will be there. Is so it everywhere remember, you look? Well. Really, Chris? Spot, dude. <laughs> you ruin everything, Chris. You're a ruiner. Go on, go on, please. No, it's it's too late. It's I'm really sorry. Too late I literally was about to say 
while it's a rare condition, this day and age, to read any good news on the newspaper page, it isn't where family matters at oldpetersvideobarn.com. <laughs> nice. Screw you, Chris. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. <laughs> and we're back. Gentlemen, Chicago's been doing some amazing things in baseball this year. Um, it seemed like the Cubs were were sellers this year. It seems like uh, after trading you Darvish in the offseason that they really weren't looking to do anything. And then the pitchers that they do have are just absolutely killing it right now. And their offense, led by the one and only El Mago, Javi Baez, is absolutely tearing up the ball, you know, notwithstanding any issues from the last few games. On the other side of town, the White Sox have been one of the most injured teams, it feels like, in Major League history at this point. They are literally on their 13th and 14th outfielders right now. Um, yet, even through all those injuries, the White Sox starting uh, pitching staff has carried them through to lead the division as well as the American League. And, well, maybe not anymore, but they are absolutely killing it as far as the um as far as baseball is concerned, but it does seem like things are slowing down. Um, Chris, what do you think is going on with the White Sox? You know, it's still a young team and it could be that they're just starting to feel some fatigue. Um, but you know, I, that's a good question, man. I, I'm not sure um, that that series against Houston really, really hurt. Um, I think, it, you know, as a fan, obviously that, that hurt, but I'm sure for the mm -hmm. players, it felt even worse. Um, they had to have had to get in their heads a little bit. Um, come off a good, pretty good series against Tampa Bay. Uh, feeling pretty oh, yeah. good. Playing another division leader. Uh, mm -hmm. Taking two out of three. Um, and in recovering after losing the first game. And then to go to Houston and just get smoked. Uh, that was rough. So, and it's in the offensive piece is really missing. You know, if I remember correctly, they're dead last in the major leagues for home runs. The power is not there. And that's something that we're super used to seeing out of the White Sox. Um, so got to see some of that power come back because your pitchers are good, but they're not going to be on every single day. They're going to have down games. So you got to back them up with some runs. Exactly. You cannot expect them to carry you throughout the entire season. I'm I'm really hoping that Eloy is going to be back in the next month, month and a half here, um, and that he can start to at least give us a little more of a spark, you know, as far as home runs are concerned. Um, and just Tim Anderson getting back into his groove after his uh, timeouts, you know, like it's Jose Abreu getting back into the swing of things for himself. You know, he's still, I think, third or fourth in the league in RBIs right now. Um, I don't care what you guys think. That is a real stat. All right. It takes skill to drive in runs. Anyway, it's yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of amazing they're in the spot they're in right now. And it just it makes you think like after all this stuff we've been hearing about Tony La Russa, is he the reason why? they're winning or is he just out of touch and they're winning in spite of him? I'm going to go back to you on this one, Chris, Alex, we're, we're going to talk to you later. <laughs> Deal with that, Alex. No, I mean, I think they're winning in spite of him a little bit. Um, I just, and you know, it's hard for me to say I'm a little, I'm a little far away from the situation, but yeah, I feel like the, he, he's got these old school, uh, 
set of rules, you know, unwritten rules that we've seen in the news that have been talked about. And I'm sure that's got to be irritating to some of these guys because their MO the last few years has really been like, hey, let's go have fun playing baseball. Well, let's make this game fun and let's forget about the unwritten rules. And here comes a manager that says, no, 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 you can't you can't pop off a home run, you know, <laughs> when we're up by a bunch. Stop it. Um, that You broke an unwritten rule. Get out of here, dude. <laughs> the game is different as a fan. I want to watch that. Let's do it. If, if, you know, if you got a pitcher in there, that's a position player. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. I'm sorry. You might accidentally hit a home run off of that guy. <laughs> what was he throwing? Like 47 miles an hour. I think it was in the fifties. <laughs> oh, mercy. It, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, Tony is, He's one of those guys where he's got that proven track record. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. You've heard him tell the cops multiple times. But he's also... <laughs> Low blow, dude. <laughs> That's rough. He, but, I mean, he is an amazing manager. He's the guy. He's the reason why the closer exists as a position for pitchers. You know what I mean? So it, you know that he knows what he's doing. But at the same time, it also feels like he's just not meant for now. It feels like he'd be much better as a you know, a bench coach, a guy to talk to the young coach, make sure the young coach knows what he's doing. Um, but, but as just a, a manager, um, yeah, I, I think that the the game is passing by. And I honestly, I, I think that this team is winning, maybe not in spite of him, but he's not giving them the wins that a great manager would. give. You brought up pitching too, Peter, you know, team ERA for the White Sox, uh, is under four. It's 3.3 last time I looked. Um, so that feels really good. Um, you know, they've got some some great performances going on uh, oh my gosh, on the yes. south side. So <laughs> that feels really, really good. And I mean, so to go through, uh, you know, this streak of losing here recently and have an ERA like that is is pretty hard to see. So um, here's it's back on track. You know, it's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing like the Cubs team ERA, Alex. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess now it's time to talk so, about that. But Chris and I are, are White Sox fans from all the way back. I started for me at about seven years old. Chris, how old were you when you first became a Sox fan? I uh, started watching, like really watching baseball. Uh, was probably seven or eight. Yeah, would have been one of seven right. or eight. Exactly. Right. Alex. <clears throat> Just want to bring up that Alex in middle school, I believe it was seventh or eighth grade. I'm, I'm not sure exactly when he decided he wanted to start liking baseball. And he just decided to choose the Cubs because I was a White Sox fan and he would automatically just not want to enjoy what I enjoy. So having said all that, Alex, as a Fairweather fan, how, how do you feel that the Cubs have been doing this year? Uh, that's a little harsh. I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm a Fairweather fan. Listen. <laughs> You, you were a part of it, but I, I, you know, I think the home run race between McGuire and Sammy Sosa was really what brought me into baseball. So that's that's really why I started following the Cubs. Um, go, going back to Larusa, I just want to give my two cents on that. Um, I don't feel I, I understand he's old, but I, I don't feel that you ever forget how to lead men. And I think he's I, I think one aspect that you guys might be missing out on is the fact that he's uniting the team by letting them focus on disliking him. And, and that could be something that he's doing. I don't, I don't know if that's the case or not. That's just a theory, but that's, that's a possibility. But I, I, don't, I don't think you ever forget how to lead that. So um, back to the Cubs, uh, you know, 
like you mentioned earlier, we were sellers in the beginning of the year. I was not expecting this type of year at all. So I'm happy with where we're at. I don't know how competitive we how competitive we uh, during the rest of this year. We have a, a very tough stretch coming up. With uh, actually, we're playing the Dodgers uh, this year for the next four. I'm this uh, this week for the next four games. So mm-hmm. it's it's going to be tough. Um, I don't know how what we're going to do with the rest of the year. I'm I'm happy with what we're doing. I think the team kind of said, "Hey, screw you to the management," and said, "Listen, I know you want to tear us apart. It's not going to happen yet. We're going to play. And we're going to put this in your face." So I'm glad they're doing that. Um, but we're going through some tur- uh, trouble times right now with Javi just recently being benched for not paying attention to uh, how many outs we had and um, some some bad stretches I, on it with some pitchers. By the way, Alex, I love the way your manager handled that. I, I think that yeah. you did a good job. And, and yeah, he had, he had got some flack earlier on. I think Javi did something. I forget what it was, but Javi did something. It got into the media. Um, and he kind of, kind of waved it off and, and didn't pay too much attention to it, kind of ignored what everyone was saying and, and, and didn't bench Javi. But I think at this point it came to the point where, listen, you continue to mess up. You continue to lose focus during the games. And he's done some phenomenal things. Did you see that, that, that play where, um, he went back to home base? Uh, the guy who was on second went all the way around, stole home. <laughs> then he went back to first, got to second base. Like he's done some phenomenal things on, on, on the field, but, um, mm-hmm. he does, that he does was a lose, great play. Yeah, he does lose focus. Uh, he's a tremendous player, but he does lose focus. Anyway, so um, long story short, happy with where we're at because it was unexpected. So I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. But I, I don't know how, how well we're, we're going to do it for the rest of the year. Uh, don't expect great things this year. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll take wins at this point. Yeah. I mean, honestly, do you, do you think they're going to be uh, buyers at the trade deadline? You think you're going to be picking up another piece or two? You know, we're we're half a game back of of Milwaukee now. Um, I think these these next uh, couple of weeks are are going to be big, and we play some tough teams. We play the Dodgers now. I think we play the Mets uh, after that. So, um, and then I think we have a stretch with Milwaukee too. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see where we end up in the next couple of weeks. I think if we're uh, close or um, in first place, I think we will. But if if we start to slide too much, um, I think we'll we'll try to get as much value as we can from our closer. Um, right. Yeah, and oh, hopefully he's been playing really well this year too. He has, and and Brian, I I don't know if we're going to trade him. Uh, but uh, are you, you know, keeping him though? Gone. Like, are the Cubs re-signing Chris Bryant? I hope they do. He's having another. Uh, well, he started out having another uh, MVP season. He's he's slided the last couple of weeks, but I think he mm-hmm. can bounce back. But he's he's had a tremendous year uh, this year overall. So I, I hope they do. Uh, I hope they do give him his money. But we'll see what happens. Nice. And Chris, the White Sox, we know that their needs right now are right-handed relief pitching and, of course, outfield help. Who are they picking up this year? Whew. That's a great question. I mean, I, I don't know, man. Who, who do you think they're going to go after? I mean, in my mind, in my mind, I think that they're going to go after somebody that's got some pop uh, in the bat. They're going to go after somebody with a little bit of power uh, to help them drive in some more runs. Um, a little bit so of that Frazier. Maybe. Adam Frazier, the thing is, he's not he's not got a ton of power, but he hits for average. So I, w- I actually wouldn't mind that. Uh, I think that would be fine uh, because you got to keep the lineup moving. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in years past, and, and I'm just looking at the history of this team, 
they've always gone after who's going to come in and give us more power. So my assumption would be that they're going to go after more power. But, you know, that's a tough question, man. It's hard to say. It's yeah. And, and it's one of those things where you're also probably looking at an infielder too. Now that we've lost, pardon me, now that we've lost Nick Magical for the entire year um, with his season ending hamstring injury, um, it, re- it really feels like the White Sox are going to be making a lot of moves and Rick Hahn is going to be very busy this offseason. Um, I've heard rumors about Eduardo Escobar from the, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, from the Diamondbacks. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if they're going to be in deep talks and they're going to be, you know, looking to make sure that Sox get, uh, get help for second base, I think he would be a great addition. Um, you know, as long as he's healthy, he is just, he's a great trade piece. I agree. Yeah. I mean, at this point, with the position that they're in, I would take any help that we can get on the South side. <laughs> right. Or just, I mean, you know, just give us our injured players back. That's really all we ever wanted. Yeah. I mean, Eloy Jimenez, that's a lot of power and a lot of, of uh, run production lost from the lineup. Yes. So that one really hurts. We that, yeah. We need that red batting glove back in the lineup. 110%. If we can get Eloy back in there, of course, Luis Roberts, I mean, just losing our just interdimensional star. It's, it's really hurt. And it's been amazing that they've been able to keep up their, uh, their wins throughout this entire time. It really, Alex, do you have any thoughts thoughts on that? Yeah. That's what I thought. He's muted himself again. Yep. Yep. He doesn't like the white Sox, So yeah, uh, he has no thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of those guys that has to hate the other side, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's, true. <laughs> you know, and, and truth be told that the guys that are in the lineup now are going to have to get the bats going a little more. So there is yeah. some quality hitting in that lineup um, and they, they can get by um, the urinator is going to have to wake up that dude. I, you know, uh, he, Chris, he kept the team afloat, but I, he's not, he's not doing anything right now. He's hitting under 200. Um, it's, it's not looking good. Listen, yeah, I um, can I, can I add my, yeah, I'm back. I'm back. You oh, are. Hey Alex. I, I was that your yeah. third mute today. <laughs> Could be my fourth. I don't know. Anyway, close <laughs> count. Uh, so all I want to say is you're welcome for Eloy. Uh, I hope he does come back. Uh, I hope he's a tremendous player when he does come back. I think you guys have a good shot uh, at winning the World Series. Uh, great young team rooting for you guys. But, yeah, well, you're welcome for Eloy. I mean, Eloy and Dylan Cease, if I'm not mistaken, right? One of our better pitchers this year. You're welcome. What a great trade. Yep, that yeah. is correct. Thanks, man. <laughs> you know, I, I you didn't personally do that deal. Um, but as a fan of the Cubs, you know, I know that hurts. And, and then this is just me being honest. I'm not trying to be a jerk right now. Um, in the future, uh, when we look back on this trade, we will still realize that the White Sox got the better side of that trade. Oh, no yeah. matter what. Oh, <laughs> Chris? <laughs> that is, that is without a doubt. It's, it's, I, was, I was leading you through that one. Yeah. And then I, and then I still dropped you off. I knew where you were going. In, I knew in the woods. Going. It's not a shocker. <laughs> It's not a shocker. <laughs> the way you started that, Chris, it just it made me think of Conan O'Brien's The Year 2000. Because I was about to say, the future, Chris? <laughs> In the year? No, I can't do it. Oh, you just did it, buddy. That was I good. I didn't finish. I didn't finish. Nope. 
Well, so breaking Jim, news, breaking news. Uh, Rick Carlisle uh, just got hired by the Pacers. Not sure how recent that is, but that's the first I've heard of it. So, wow. Breaking you know, news. I, that is some interesting news. Rick Carlisle to the Pacers. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I see that. I see that. Yeah, all, all that news. Alex, what do you think that means for the Pacers? You know, uh, obviously him and, and Larry Bird are, are good friends. They played uh, back in, in Boston in the 1980s. Uh, so they know each other well. So it's not a complete shocker. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm I'm not. I don't know what to think of it. It's just because I'm not a huge fan of Rick Carlisle, but I'm also not a hater <laughs> of Rick Carlisle. I think he's just a, a good coach. Um, uh, you know, he, they, they won once in, in 2011, hasn't really done mm-hmm. done much. I'm pretty certain that uh, Luca kind of kicked him out of the door a little bit, <laughs> just, to, you know, letting Mark Cuban know I'm not a big fan of his. Um, so they, they kind of moved on. Uh, obviously, he said, just to stay face, uh, you know, he decided to, to leave and, uh, continue on coaching with a different team, but um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm not a big fan, not a hater. So, him and Larry Bird are friends. Go for it. Why not? <laughs> More power to you guys. Yeah. No, yeah, it's funny you bring up Larry Bird, huh? Larry Bird, Larry Legend, yes. Larry Legend. I saw that man made 24 million dollars in his career, in his whole career. Larry Bird, that just blew my mind. Yeah, it's I mean, like the they world didn't make... has changed, man. Didn't make that much yet, and they. It's funny. I think. I think. Um, if he had held off retiring for another week or month, he would have gotten an extra million. But he refused to do it just because that's just not who Larry Legend was. You know, if he's like, I'm not gonna pretend I'm gonna play <laughs> just to get another million. I'm gonna retire when I want to retire. So he's a uh, man him. of his word. Yeah. Well, anyway, where were we? Where were we there, guys? Well, I think that we can move on to our next topic, which is actually something that I've been looking forward to for a long time. You know, during the pandemic, we, we all had time to go back and revisit all these classic basketball games, these classic football games, baseball games, ESPN was putting them out all the time. And then it just kind of stopped. And I kind of missed that. So I felt it would be good if we went ahead and watched a classic basketball game and, and what better game to watch than a great game, a, a instant classic in the day that it was that that it was um the day the game was played actually. Um it's it was the day that Michael Jordan scored fifty-five points against the New York Knicks after coming back from retirement. This is when you knew that Jordan was truly back. And so what we did was the three of us watched uh watched this game. Uh we took some notes and uh we're gonna talk about it a little bit. So actually, I want to start with uh, with you, Alex. What were your uh, main takeaways from the game? I loved it. This is actually the first time uh, I saw the game from beginning to end. I didn't see it in live uh, when it actually when it actually aired because my family was poor <laughs> and we did not have cable. Uh, we didn't have cable for uh, a good five years. Uh, so they, we actually got it um, right after that. Uh, so the start of the the ninety five ninety six season. So got to see every game for that, but. Yeah, first time I saw it, loved it. Uh, you know, from the announcer Hubie Brown, uh, seeing Craig Sager again, miss him, rest in peace. Uh, just uh, a fantastic game, and and really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Chris, go ahead, please. No, no, you go ahead, bud. Oh no, no, Chris, I insist. Go All on. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think you know we've we've had some side conversations about it. The the biggest takeaway, yes, very enjoyable game, but 
the intensity that was was going on in that game from the very beginning was just apparent. Um, it, it was you you know you know it's a rivalry back then, right? And and Jordan was back, and they're in the garden for the first first time uh, since he'd come back, um, and, and so tensions were already high with that rivalry. But the way the game was played back then, they were playing defense from jump. Um, it was not easy to get to the basket. Um, so, so it was just crazy to watch after spending years and years and years of watching current basketball. And then, and, you know, you don't even notice quite as much when you're watching it consistently how much the game has changed. But when you go back and you watch a game from back then, holy yes. cow, what yes. a difference. I mean, you, you had to you had to fight to get to the rim. Um, people did not just get out of the way. And, and I'm not trying to be one of those people. It's like, oh, yeah, today's game is weak. Nope. Like I said earlier, it's fun to watch today's basketball game. I really enjoy watching. Uh, but I enjoyed it back then. I just feel like I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. And, and in all reality, last week when I was watching playoff basketball, I noticed that. I noticed that in the 76ers game. Um, I think it was game three. And, you know, Embiid had the fire from the very beginning. And that's that's what it reminded me of was watching these old games when there's intensity, there's there's elbows flying right from the very beginning of the game. So it's kind of cool. You know, it it gets you thinking when you watch these classic games after years of not seeing any any basketball played like that. Um, So it was really fun to watch. And, And obviously seeing Jordan just score, you know, constantly throughout the first half. I mean, his first half was much better than the second half, but um, that was just it was wild. It was really cool to watch. Oh, and you think about the types of shots that he was making too, right? Like the, the first few shots that he made were jumpers from the elbow. Like he he just, he was the king of the mid-range jumper. And that's that's one of those things that you actually do still see nowadays. I, I hate it when people say that the NBA nowadays is only about threes and dunks because the players who are really good, the players who are worthy of it, still shoot mid-range jumpers because it's still a good high percentage shot for them. Isn't Kawhi you know, known for got, that? Yeah, Kawhi, yeah, Kawhi, Chris Paul, all those superstars. I want to see Booker too. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure yeah. if it's the Chris Paul influence, but yeah, Booker shoots some uh, some mid-range jumpers as well. Paul George. Um, there's still some people left who uh, who shoot that at a consistent rate. It's not only people left, Alex. I think that it's it's a tool that is still necessary for a superstar to have in his wallet. You know what I mean? Like, and he he just he needs to have that as part of his toolbox. Um, but yeah, no, I mean Jordan just comes out and right away he just shows. Like you said, Chris, he was amped up with that Madison Square Garden crowd. That is the great thing about Madison Square Garden is that it's it's gonna have that playoff like atmosphere when someone like Jordan comes into town. Like they were ready for him. They wanted him. You could see, like you said, you could feel the energy before tip off in that game. It was just, it was such a fun first quarter. And just, just watching the way that Jordan just picked that Knicks team apart in the first quarter for 20 points. I mean, by the time he shot that three pointer at the end, uh, at the end of the uh, quarter, it, it was just, it was perfect. It was perfection. It was, it was really cool to watch. I missed, I missed watching that guy play basketball. Truly. We all know Alex misses watching him play basketball. Oh, of course. Of course. I, I, who knows I know. us that listens to this podcast, if this podcast ever makes it uh, to people's ears, we'll know <laughs> how much <laughs> Alex loves him some Michael Jordan. Dude, as a matter of fact, 
Chris, yeah, I, I was about to ask Alex, are are you joking around at all about your fan of your fandom of the Michael Jordan? Of course I'm not joking around. But my point is this. All right, so I I got into um I got into the whole aspect of uh you know me finally getting cable after this season. Um and during the ninety five, ninety six season, I was just so focused on watching him as much as I could because I actually remember where I was when he retired in, in nineteen ninety three. I'm not sure if you guys do, but I did. I was so devastated uh, that I, I couldn't believe that he had gone and I had wasted, uh, you know, time not watching him. So when he came back, I was like, I'm going to watch every single game. I'm not going to miss out on this guy. This guy was entertaining. He was so much fun to watch. So, uh, yeah, I watched every single game of that season. Uh, this game, uh, I love the fact that they went at him right away and he took over immediately from the start. He, was, he said, I'm going to go after John Starks. And was aggressive, didn't even think to pass. And by then in the first quarter, he had 20 points. It was just, it was just an amazing just first quarter, <laughs> let alone game. So, um, yeah, uh, like, like Chris was saying, mid-range game um, was actually a heavy part of this game. I, I love his kind of chess playing, uh, which, which leads into the, to the last shot that I'll, I'll mention a bit more there. But, I mean, yeah, he, he went at him. I, I think in the first quarter he, he, he posted uh, John Starks. First time he spun around, he spun around, uh, went for the dunk over over Hewing. Second time he went back to the same spot, and uh, instead of, he he fixed like he spun around. Yeah, Hewing, <laughs> and then and then he did <laughs> he did a fadeaway, he did a fadeaway shot. So he was he was always playing chess. He was always trying to make you think uh, while you're defending him. So a much different game than it kind of is in my opinion now. But yeah. uh, again, uh, no disrespect to the game now, but it's a little bit different. Well, it's the rules. I mean, the rules really are what changed the game the way it's changed. Um, that and, of course, just the, you know, the the additional three-pointer shot. But but before we leave the first quarter, I, I want to talk real quickly about someone that isn't Michael Jordan. That's Scottie Pippen and his dunk over Charles Smith. How could we? I, I just, I, I, I just, you tend to forget his athleticism when he was still, like, relatively young in his career. And just the, 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 the absolute ability that that man had to do anything on the basketball court. You know, it's, it's said about him all the time, but I still don't think enough is said about Scottie Pippen's greatness in this game. That dude was ridiculous. That guy was so good. Yeah. Scottie Pippen, I think he had the two best plays in this game and, and this mm-hmm. is a game full of great plays, but he had that, that dunk over uh, Charles Smith. And in the second half, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but in the second half, he had that one play where he, he faked uh, a shot got um hubert davis and anthony mason up in the air <laughs> and yes. drove down to the lane and and did a layup between uh charles smith and uh i forget who, who else it was but between two guys so basically in that one play he went through four players of the new mm-hmm. york defense so yeah i mean the guy was just amazing he was he was he was a lot of fun to watch he was just a great talent um and somehow even with those two plays uh and other plays that he made throughout the game he still was in the shadow of michael jordan because Michael Jordan was that great. Yeah, exactly. he was his athleticism. You know, I remember back in 2003 when LeBron James was coming in and I, I, I was saying back then, man, this guy looks like he's going to be a Scottie Pippen, you know, so <laughs> obviously LeBron has, has far exceeded those expectations and, and he's been incredible. Um, but that athleticism and power and strength um, and just, he didn't back down to anybody. Um, it, 
Scottie Pippen was ahead of his time. You know, a lot of people have said before, you know, hey, this guy was the original uh, point forward, right? So, um, oh, yeah. He was a game changer, and he was, by all accounts, the the actual behind the scenes leader of that team from an emotional standpoint. And um, you know, he he brought everybody along for the ride and practice, and and taught people things. So he's he's a he was a, an awesome talent, and uh, I'm just I feel lucky that I got a chance to watch him play so much. Um, lucky I got a chance to go to games as a kid, and um, you know, watch him on TV. So it was, it was a fun time, you know, re reliving some of that watching this game. It really was. And that, that kind of leads us into the second half or the second quarter, I should say. Um, you know, the second quarter, the, the <clears throat> part of me, Jordan did sit for a chunk of it. It wasn't his best quarter, of course, but he actually did do quite a few fun things, especially that, uh, that fadeaway jumper that he had over John Starks. Like just like he actually he had Madison Square Garden in the palm of his hand at that point, just the way that they were shooting those ooze at him. You know, it was a great just a great move in the second quarter. Alex, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know, I think uh, Madison Square Garden, they loved Michael Jordan as much as, you know, he tormented them throughout the years. Um, They were excited to see him play. And even though there was some booze here and there, there was a lot of cheers, too, um, while the game was going on. So. Yeah, I, I think um, I think they definitely appreciated his greatness over there. Yeah, I mean, above anything else, they appreciate great basketball, and that is what Jordan gave them every time he came. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the second half here. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. At the uh, second half, uh, start of the second half, the Knicks had a fifty-six to fifty lead. Not exactly what you were thinking with Jordan having 35 first half points on 14 of 19. That's just ridiculous. 14 of 19 shooting for 35 points in the first half. He is just, ah, the dude is a basketball god. He is the basketball god. Anyway, third quarter wasn't as amazing. He only hit three of his six shots, but he got a pair of three pointers. Um, What'd you guys think about that third quarter? Chris? You know, it was frustrating, man, because um, I'm sitting here, you know, and it's been a lot of years, but I didn't remember how the game went down. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting here watching the first half going, oh, man, the points are piling up. He's not going to have a great second half. This, this game's getting getting close. I'm getting nervous. I know what happens. And yet I'm watching Jordan miss shots in the second half, getting nervous about a game that's already happened. Right. <laughs> So it was weird. It was almost like reliving my childhood where I used to sit there and, and grip onto my little fake championship rings every game that I watched, <laughs> just hoping that I would see something crazy happen and that they would win. And um, it was weird. I, I found myself, my my family was teasing me because I was sitting on the floor in our living room on my knees, like under this <laughs> TV like I'm in my living room when I was a kid, you know, it was, it was so funny. And, and I just, I, my wife got a kick out of the whole thing, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of hard to watch there for a little bit. Um, especially just the, you know, that those easy, I, I call them easy mid range jumpers for Jordan because he, use, he usually makes them look easy. Um, but he, he's missing those shots, you know, and that didn't feel so hot. No, you're absolutely right. It, it it was tough. And, you know, the third quarter ended up tied at 82. So the Bulls at least got, you know, they, they, they reduced that deficit and they got it back to an even game by the end of the third quarter. Alex, any good notes from you on the third quarter? 
Um, on the third quarter, no, but I love uh, the fourth quarter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, let's let's get let's get into the fourth quarter here, shall you we? You just let's love Pat Riley's screen time in the fourth quarter. No, this is this is the, oh this is the one thing yes. that stuck out for me in the fourth quarter, and um, it. it was hilarious. I didn't catch it the first time. I actually watched the game uh, twice, well, at least the second half twice. But um, when Hubie Brown, um, okay, so Luke Longley goes in, gets a ball, uh, does a step through dunk. And he was like, oh, he looks like Bryant Reeves out there. Big country Bryant Reeves. <laughs> and, yes. and I did not, I didn't catch it the first time. The second time I was like, wait a minute. You know, initially I was like, okay, you know, big country Reeves. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely played during that uh, decade. And um, was probably, you know, uh, in the NBA at that point. And then I looked into it. He didn't come into the league until the next season so he's referencing uh, that an nba player looks like a college player <laughs> i thought that was i thought that was hilarious but that's just that's just huey brown he's just great he just loads all you know basketball in every aspect so uh but i, I thought that was phenomenal and um i liked how the other announcer was just in so much anticipation of of jordan breaking that record and uh huey brown uh wanting to not be part of the record book anymore you know he was a head coach uh, during that time, when um, when Michael Jordan scored 50, which was uh, the record of Madison Square Garden at the time before he, uh, he broke it to 55, and uh, you know he was so he was so, so much anticipation, and, and Jordan wasn't shooting the ball that well, but eventually broke it. So uh, obviously, of course, but uh, just love that that part, portion of the fourth quarter as well. It was, and speaking of the telecast, it's it, before the fourth quarter began. Craig Sager actually interviewed Earl the Pearl Monroe. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he asked him how he would stop Jordan. And Monroe responded with, well, first of all, I would make sure he didn't get off the bus yes. to get into the building. <laughs> that was great. That yeah, was great. That's pretty much. And and that is what every single basketball player like in the world at that point was saying about Michael Jordan. Retired, not retired. They saw that he was the greatest. Even at that point, like even after just three championships, Shoot, even before his three championships, Larry called him. Uh, what, what, what did he call him, Alex? Larry? Remember that? Oh. After Jordan scored 62? Oh, man. He, he called him uh, God. This guy disguised as Michael Jordan. And, you know, That's right. Earl, Earl, Earl Monroe, people forget how great Earl. I mean, Earl the Pearl Monroe. He got the nickname Pearl Monroe because his, his game was just so pretty. So he was a great player. He's a Hall of Fame player in his mm -hmm. own right. So um for him just to be outright you know I, no one can defend this guy we just don't let him get off the bus <laughs> is is you know quite um quite a comment from coming from him did either of you guys notice you know I, if you watch like closely it seemed like the game looked sloppy because of how much defense was being played in the fourth quarter especially yes turnover 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 and it felt it just looked sloppy so again, comparing to today's game, doesn't look quite as smooth um, because you're seeing passes getting chucked, you know, half court and it, it gets intercepted by BJ Armstrong, you know? <laughs> so I, <laughs> right. that was one of the notes I took when I watched it. I just, I was uh, a little bit surprised at how, how sloppy it looked during certain moments. The more intense things got uh, later in the game, it just felt a little bit sloppy. Yeah. Um, but, but going back to just kind of the, the intensity of the game and how it had that that playoff feel, even though it wasn't the playoffs, um, that that defense defensive play by uh, Steve Kerr, uh, Peter's favorite player yes. from way back then, yeah, when he pretty much clothesline Charles Smith, and and I love that play. I love that play because 
A was a great defensive play. I mean, he had no other way of stopping him. Um, mm-hmm. Playoff basketball, you're going to grab him, you're going to do everything you can so he doesn't get a layup, doesn't get a dunk. Uh, did what he had to do. Um, Charles Smith is 6'10", uh, 240 Probably 250 pounds, somewhere around there. Steve Kerr, how, how tall is he? 6'1", uh, 80 when wet. <laughs> so did, did what he had to do. But what I additionally loved about it was not only that that happened, that they were playing playoff basketball, playoff uh, defensive play, but the refs allowed it. They didn't call it flagrant. It was just a regular foul on the play. That was it. <laughs> he didn't it's go after the, the 90s, ball. bro. So it's it should have been... Right, it should have been a, a flagrant foul, uh, but no, because it's it's ninety bas- nineties basketball. It was aggressive. It's playoff basketball type of atmosphere. They allowed it, and they just kept playing, and it was great. Unlike, you mm-hmm. know, the Suns game that happened a little bit ago, where they had to stop every single second. Uh, Patrick Beverly falls on the floor, so they they stop and they look at the play and they call a foul. You know. It was just, um, that took way too long, took away from the speed, the excitement of the game. But this was um, just quintessential 90s basketball right there. It really was. And by the way, Alex, to answer your question, Steve Kerr is actually six foot three, 175 pounds. I didn't know he was six three. That's okay. I thought he was shorter than that. Taller, but weighs less. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's still still impressive what he pulled off. And this is the same guy that, according to the, the last dance, punched Michael Jordan in the face. Right? <laughs> oh, that was the best story ever. I love that. That's how you get respect, everybody. Don't forget. John Starks wouldn't do it, but I will. <laughs> Speaking of which, Jordan's final basket. A jumper over John Starks. What did that guy what did that remind you guys of? Did it remind you of another famous Jordan shot? Yeah, I mean it against, reminded me against of Utah. Lot. Yes, the 98th, literally the, yeah. the shot that he hit over Byron Russell. And it felt like when, when he took that shot, I know which one you're talking about, it felt like he was suspended in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I was I was trying to think, like, why does it look like he's hanging out up there in the air? Meanwhile, the defender is, is already jumped and fallen back down and looks like a fool. And it, I can't figure out the, something about the mechanics or what, but I mean, it, may, it must just be that he jumps higher than, <laughs> I don't know, but, but yeah, I mean, he's got this, this smoothness to his game. It's just so amazing to watch. Yeah, indeed. And you know, it's, it's always all about the air up there. That's what it's about. Way, way to reference that. Thank you. Alex, it sounds like you're being called away. You doing okay over there? Hold on. Can we let's just cut real quick? I'll, I'll be right back. Well, right, so now let's... that we've had that great little, you know, intermission there, Alex, I, I, I do want to hear you. I, I know you've got some some thoughts about this game. You've got some questions for us. What do you what do you have to give us for this game now? All right. So so let me just bring up this this play. All right. So in the third quarter, Michael Jordan gets blocked by John Starks. He blocks him while he's going for a layup or driving the lane, then goes on to the other side of the court, scores a three. Why am I bringing this up? <laughs> Even though I'm a huge Jordan fan, I'm bringing this up because there's a crappy narrative going around that Jordan did not play against some good competition um, against his own, his own position. And, and that's just a, a false narrative. John Starks was one of the best defenders of the 90s. He actually, I think, was all NBA second 
uh, defensive team uh, in 93. Uh, so he's a good defender. Uh, he scored 55 points against a good defender. He's not a bad defender. Uh, so I don't know. I'm, I'm just bringing this out to, <laughs> to change that narrative. But um, like I mentioned uh, in, in the beginning of this, where, where Jordan's kind of playing chess out there, um, that spot where he went and took the fadeaway um, and, and took that shot um, and eventually uh, did the pass to, uh, to the center, which we haven't discussed yet, but he did that play nearly three times in a row. Uh, he did it once, and he got blocked by Patrick Ewing. Then he did it again and made the, shot, the fadeaway shot over uh, John Starks. And then the third time, uh, which we'll discuss later, he, he wins the game with. So that's just – that's Michael Jordan getting to his spot, them knowing that he's going to get to the spot, and he's playing chess with them the entire time. Because they just, thought he was going to shoot the ball. They, st- they thought he was going to shoot the ball. So Hewing, he, he went out to him blocking the mm-hmm. first time, didn't go out and help uh, John Starks the second time, made the fadeaway. He went to the same spot because the first time he, he blocked him, John, uh, Patrick Hewing left the center, and it, we'll, we'll discuss who that was later on, but left the center, went to go help John Starks, big and country. then that's when, yeah, that's, well, no, it was a big country. It wasn't a big country. And, and, and <laughs> we'll, we'll exp- I'll explain later why it was a big country, but it wasn't a big country. I appreciate your, your hot takes here. But, well, but I mean, are we going to talk about the last play now? Let's do it. I'm just saying, I, I, well, before we do that, I just want you to know John Starks did get one all-defensive second team in 1992. He made the all-star team. Mm-hmm. He made the all-star team in 94. And then he won sixth man of the year in 96-97. Yeah, he was a hell of a player, man. He was a hell of a player. He was good. He was not a hell of a player. He was a great, he was a, a good, a really solid defensive player. It's not like, you know, Scoring 55 was easy on John Starks. Correct. No, that much 100% I'll give you. Yes, that you're, you're absolutely right on that front. All right, Alex. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Let's talk about that final shot, shall we? So let's talk about the final shot. So why, why was um, Big Country Reeves or the uh, remake of Big Country Reeves <laughs> not on the floor? He, he actually fouled out. Um, so he fouled out of the game, and then By the way, just, uh, we're talking about Luke Longley. Luke, Luke, just, Luke Longley, for some reason, yeah. but Luke, yeah, Luke. Uh, then, uh, then, then Will Purdue comes into the game. He follows out. So the only reason Bill Wennington was on the floor to get the luckiest play <laughs> in, in one of Michael Jordan's best games out there was because the two centers ahead of him got fouled out of the game. So it could have been easily Luke Longley. It could have been easily Will Purdue, but he got the lucky uh, last shot, and it ended up being going to the hands of uh, of Bill Wennington, which is he he was actually um, a great mid range uh, shooting center, uh, which was. wasn't very common. Bill it wasn't Wennington, very common in that baseline era. Baseline yes. jumper, dude. He yes. was yes. not common in that area. He was very useful to stretch the floor, uh, give the rest of the team space. He was he was a great he was a good center. He was a good backup center. He really was. He he gave you a solid like. 10 to 20 minutes each game, you know, but, but like you said, that was when he, he was, I, I think it might've been his first or second, maybe it was his second year with the, uh, the bulls at that point. Um, and of course, just getting to know Michael Jordan. So I'm sure to be able to get that pass from Jordan, I, I you know, I, I would love to talk to him about that. Just, just kind of understand what that feeling was like, what that moment was like getting that pass from MJ to win the game at Madison square garden. It, it had to be overwhelming. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I agree though, that Bill Wennington, that overwhelming moment probably turned him into the fantastic broadcaster that he is today. I'm kidding. Um, no, I mean, it had to be, it had to be a really cool moment for him. Um, because a lot of these guys were just getting to know Jordan at that at that time. I mean, he, right. <laughs> he had only been back with the team for a few weeks. Um, so that had to be this whole game just had to be awesome for everybody involved um, until Michael Jordan started, you know, yelling at everybody like we saw in the first dance. He was always yelling at everybody. That's that's his type of leadership. His type was to bring the intensity up, and, and Scottie Pippen was, you know, to to call him and, and you know, hug him and say, hey, you're, you're still doing all right. <laughs> so it was a great right. combination. It was a great Batman and Robin combination, but that was that was always uh, Jordan's kind of style. But, uh, but, yeah, like I was saying before, it's just, you know, the last shot, he had done it. He, he had done it, well, last pass. He had, he had gone to that spot two times prior to, you know, like I said, Ewing had 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 gone and helped him uh, and blocked him on the first one, and Jordan knew. Jordan knew that that was going to come up, so I'm sure he went up and saying, "Hey, if you didn't come, um, I'll take the shot." And I'm sure he was ready to do it, but um, he knew Ewing was going to come this time around and, and pass it down low to a wide open uh, Bill Wennington and, and ended up winning the game. So it was great. Yeah. He's a smart player, man. He really was a smart player, and, it, and that's the thing. Like. Watching the game was was really really cool to just see like the the smart decisions that were made, um, the coaching decisions that were made, and again how, how fun it was to see what a difference uh, there is between the style of play back then and and now. Good notes though, Alex. I love that. I love the chess reference. Oh man, that, that was Jordan. That's what was fun watching it. Just what he was, how he was manipulating the entire game. It was great. I mean, MJ had that, not MJ, BJ Armstrong had that, uh, that one comment on, on the last dance that was after the, the 91 season, Michael Jordan wasn't playing basketball anymore. He was just, <laughs> he was just kind of controlling the game or the momentum of the game. It was just, that was him. That's just how he played. It was great. That was fun to talk about. So, so let's go into, uh, my trivia question. Or I'd questions. love to lay it on us. If we can, if we can. Peter, are you ready for this one? Where's Peter? It appears we've lost, we've lost him. This is to me directly, right? No. I, 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 I apologize, gentlemen. I pulled an Alex. I accidentally <laughs> muted myself. All right. What, well, okay. what an idiot. <laughs> You're dumb, dumb. You're dumb, dumb. All right, so wow. so we all know that this was the, the 55 game at Jordan Madison Court for Jordan at Madison Court Garden. Um, mm-hmm. 55 uh, was 55 the season high for the entire NBA for that season. Yes, I'm going to so guess no. Chris says yes. Peter says no. All right, so it was not. But at the time, was it was. This, at the time, it was. was. At the time. David Robinson's game? No, David Robinson was the year before. At the time oh. when he scored this game, 55, on his, on his what, fifth game back from retirement, mm-hmm. he had the game to lead the NBA in scoring. Uh, but I think uh, the last game, or the, uh, the game before last game, Glenn Rice scores 56. <laughs> so what? one more point. Ooh. Exactly, one more oh. point. So this guy is out of retirement. I mean, I mean, out of, out of the game for a year and a half, comes back, fifth game back nearly has the the high season high for the season uh but even so it was just one point away so um that's that's the my 
my first question. Second question. That's a good one. All right. So second question is, um, there were of the top five uh, scores or scoring games uh, in the N- NBA that season, how many of those players were all-stars? And I'll, I'll go ahead and, and read out the names. Uh, first one, of course, was uh, Glenn Rice. Uh, second one was Michael Jordan at 55. Will Burton had 53. And then four players had 50. Uh, that's Dana Barros, Cedric Sabalos, Jimmy Jackson, and Jamal Mashburn. So, <laughs> wow. Of those, you just of took those... me through NBA Live 98 right there, Alex. Right? That's Of those, oh no, Alex! Alex muted himself again. We heard of those, uh huh. And then, uh, yeah, I think I think it's really when I when I switch. Oh, you're, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, you're I'm on my phone. Now. I'm on yeah, my we, phone. We know you're on your phone. We can yeah. tell. So this this is why we need advertising, everybody. I just want you to know it's because Alex, <laughs> he just he can't do this without some help so please <laughs> dig in of those of those seven players of those seven players how many of them were all-stars that season and, and one clue is that uh, michael jordan obviously came after the all-star break so he is not an all-star for that year so how many all-stars do we have on that list of uh, seven players a one Chris, a two what? a three a three you're gonna say three i'm going with I three I'm gonna. I, I feel like only Cedric Sabalos. It's gonna be none. Is an all star. It's gonna be none. Caliber player, but I am kind of dreading the zero. Alex, what is it? <laughs> so okay, Chris, you said three. Who were your three? Oh gosh, Jackson, need, uh-huh. Sabalos, and give me him again. Uh, Dana Barros is one of them. Uh, Glenn nope. Rice. Glenn uh, Rice. Will, Glenn, Glenn Rice. Rice. Okay, yep. he's he's your third. All right, so. Uh, you both picked one of them that was correct. Uh, there was two uh, of those players on that list. It was Cedric Sabalos and Dana Barrows. And no. both of them only made the All-Star that season and no other season prior, no other season after. So That's amazing. I remember, I, I love Cedric Sabalos's game. I honestly can't tell you a thing about it right now. <laughs> he was just a I guy just that you didn't need to run to play for but somehow ended up with 20 points and like seven yes. rebounds and five assists. Like he was just, he was just great. He was just a great all around player. Exactly. And Alex, you remember like Anthony Mason always being able to get the and one. Like oh, he yeah. always, he was a beast, man. That guy was 300 pounds, six, eight. Like he was just a strong, strong man. I liked watching Russ- Glenn Rice though. I, I really enjoyed Glenn Rice. And that dude could shoot the ball. So oh, I think, that surprises I think, me that he wasn't on the all-star team that year. I remember watching him on all-star teams. Yeah. It's been so long in my, um, you know, old brain doesn't remember what year that was. I think he was on the, um, he was on the 98 team for sure. I want to say, or 97. And uh, didn't he score like 40 points in the fourth quarter or something like that of that game? Or he, he, he had some, some record uh, points in, in an all-star game in the quarter. But I he believe could, he could really that was the same. Wasn't that the same year that Michael Jordan had the triple double and yeah. he was still outshadowed by Glenn Rice because Glenn Rice had like the most points ever in an All Star game? He was an outshadowed because they still gave him the the, uh, the All Star trophy. I thought no, I'm pretty sure Rice got it. Rice got it. 
I believe oh, so. See. Yes, I could be right. You could be right. I could be misremembering that one. But um, so, yeah, so oh, actually, no. So ninety six, ninety seven. Glenn Rice had twenty six points in the All Star game. Twenty six. Okay. So I inflated it just a touch with forty points, but <laughs> <laughs> he scored a lot. He was a good score. He was a good score. Um, he was a very good score. But all right, so and then the last trivia that I'll be giving you guys is, um, of course, uh, Jordan scored 55, uh, which was a high of uh, Madison Square Garden uh, at that time. But uh, what was the high? Uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll give you another one after this one as well. But what's what's the high for Madison Square Garden now? Oh, I cheated. I already know the answer to this. I okay. It. Ooh, Chris, so Chris, this, this goes for you. 67 close it's uh 61 by uh it's tied with james harden and uh kobe bryant um but uh the last one i'll give is um who is the who, who what player scored the most amount of points against the new york knicks period all time just points scored against the knicks all time in madison square garden oh. or total no 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 so those those records are just in Madison Square Garden. But I'm just saying Knicks all time. So you're saying career points against the Knicks? No, not career in a single game. Oh, you're all over the place here. Wait, I'm just saying those were Madison Square Garden records, but this isn't. These weren't against the Knicks records. I'm gonna go with the guy who broke all the records before Jordan broke all the records. I'm gonna say it was Will Chamberlain. Okay. What well, what was his uh what was high? Oh, geez. Um, I'm going to go with uh, 64. Okay. Chris? Kareem the Dream. Kareem the Dream. Jabbar. What's his, what's his high? I'm going with uh, 42. 42? That's interesting because we're talking already about 61. I'm just saying against the Knicks. Yeah, your your question confused me. Okay, my apologies. <laughs> against against the Knicks, so it has to be higher than sixty-one. It's the single game point record against the Knicks, Chris. We already know sixty-one is the home record, but what is their away record, which is obviously more than sixty-one? Oh, ah, uh, this one's gonna be something ridiculous. Uh, let's go. I'll stick with my sixty-seven, and let's. I'll just go with my guess at <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> so so peter had it right with will chamberlain and yes! uh, his his record against the knicks is 100 points which is the nba that was record. that game huh it was, that, was that, that game, game. oh wow was that was against, that was when he was with philly right with philly yeah that was against the new york knickerbockers i had no idea that's amazing yep nice i mean the, i mean the one of the longest teams of all teams of all time so they, they got some records on them. Nice yeah, nice job, do. Alex. Good trivia questions. Honestly, those are some great stats. And uh, on that note, let's go ahead and hit our final uh, our final break and come back to some listener mail. And we're back. Once again, please open your pockets for Alex so he can get a proper computer. That's really what this game is or what this uh, podcast is all about. That's sure. not true. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, this is a, a thing that I hope becomes an, an an actual great portion of our podcast. But this being our first episode, of course, we're going to have to fake it. So I want to introduce fake listener mail. This first one 
is from Gladys from Tacoma, Washington. Gladys asks, <laughs> who's the best ball handler of the group? Out of the Alex, three of us? Chris? <laughs> Peter. Who is the best ball handler out of the group? Do we do we all answer? Do, do we want the answer? Does I, the person I want to hear, hear you spit it out. Who's got an answer? I have an I know answer. my answer. I, the answer is is I'll go, I'll go first. I'll go first clear. here. Uh my, my the best of our our group uh is Chris. What, no, um, we we got to we have to we have to make sure that people we say ball handler we're talking about basketball. Yeah, basketball. <laughs> basketball. <laughs> we're talking sure. about ball handler. Yeah. Yeah, we well, it's not football. It's not baseball. It's basketball. Yeah, it's basketball. You normally don't hear ball handler in those sports, but yes, yes, yeah. we are talking but, about basketball. I would say Chris is the best. I'm not saying I was too shabby, but uh, I think Chris is definitely out of us uh, the, the the better ball handler. And that that is my answer as well. Um, I, just to give you guys a little insight, because nobody really knows anything at this point about us. Um, myself and Alex are both around between five ten and five eleven, um, and we're both on the uh, on the heavier side. We were both the the Charles Barkleys of our team is, is where we would be. Um, Chris, Chris is your, Chris is your Muggsy Bokes. Chris is your Spud Webb. Chris is your, he's your lightning rod. He's going to, or your lightning bolt. Yeah. He's your lightning bolt. He's going to be running around all over the place, going between people's legs. Um, Chris, am I, am I pretty accurate here? I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think the real answer here is Alex. Alex is the best ball handler. Um, and the reason why that, I, you know, yeah, I was, I was short and quick uh, and I can get past people or could back in the old days, but um, that was expected. When you saw Alex, you didn't expect what he was going to do. Uh, so sometimes he'd cross you over. You didn't see it coming. So my vote goes for Alex. Um if I went between somebody's legs, it was uh, as a joke, and <laughs> it wasn't because I was trying to do it on purpose, and then it worked out by accident. So <laughs> I'm going. You were, you were. Um, who, who should we say he was like, Chris? He was um, not flashy, so he was like John Stockton. You know, quick. you just you just quick. quick. You could dribble the ball. It was just you know, you were annoying. You were annoying and pesky. <laughs> If, you, if, if I was playing against you, I was guarding you, and you tried to get fancy with the way you were ball handling, I was just going to stand there with my hands on my hips and look at you like you were ridiculous, exactly. and then proceed to embarrass you by stealing the ball from you. Exactly. And then stealing and you your girl. <laughs> no. No. See, no. another quick no, tidbit of uh, Christopher. He didn't know how, how many girls had crushes on him in high school, so he was, uh, I don't know... If he had the Ob ugly duckling syndrome or something. Yeah, definitely but, oblivious to his yeah. abilities. <laughs> anyway, what's the next question? Moving on and quickly. The next question is from Matt from Hinsdale, Illinois, that is. He wants to know what our thoughts are on replacing umpires with AI or digital readouts telling you if it's a strike or not. Nope. So, Chris, you're you're automatically against it. Automatically against it. No thanks. I and I actually had thought about this many times. Um, watching oh. games, getting 
upset about the calls, but mm-hmm. no, it's part it's part of baseball. I like it. It's part of what makes the game different, and I enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. Human error is a part of the game. Um, I'm I'm more of a traditionalist in uh, a lot of aspects, and that's one of the things I I just think we should just keep going with it. You know, keep the game going, uh, the flow going a lot better. So, yep. I I gotta disagree with you guys on this one. I think the flow would go a lot better if they automated the balls and strikes. It, it, umpires are. I don't know. The best umpire is the umpire you don't notice. And what's better to not notice than a digital readout? Hey, I, hey, I think they that... automate field of dreams, Peter. No. Okay. No, but, but they should have no field of dreams. Didn't get automated. Real baseball All shouldn't right. get automated. Well, thank you for the question, Matt brought up some good discussion here. Stupid Peter. Finally. <laughs> Final wrong, question Peter, is you're wrong. Your opinion is wrong, and I hate you and for you it. You guys are the worst. <laughs> Last podcast, that's it. <laughs> I'm going to Costanza my way out of here. All right, final question is uh, from our guy Chapman in Brooklyn. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I misread that. It's actually Chapman from the Dallas. If you were a baseball player, what would your walk-up song be? Ooh, that's Great a good question. Chapman. Who's going first? I I know my answer. Let's hear it, Chris. It's, it, well, based on what I'm is hearing the, in the background, it's Baby Shark. Um, yeah, I, I feel like maybe it'd be Baby Shark, but no. Uh, for me, for Alex, it's clearly Baby Shark. But for me, it is uh, Back in Black by ACDC. Classic. That's a good one. That's a good one. Absolute classic. So, does it have any personal meaning to you, Chris, or is it just it's a banger? It just pumps me up, dude. It just pumps me up. Okay, Alex. I'm gonna go with Bailamos, uh for obvious reasons. <laughs> Bailamos. You gotta let the rhythm take <laughs> you over. Ricky don't you, Martin, Alex? Puerto Rican. You gotta go with that. We dance. Oh mercy, that is that's beautiful. I, I so so which part of it would it be, Alex? I want to hear that 10 second chunk. No one wants to hear that that ten second chunk. <laughs> oh no, me. not from you. But but Chris, if you can do the uh, what we used to sing on the roll down our windows and sing this part as loud as we could. By the most, let go. the rhythm take you over. By the most, there you go. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. And for my walk-up song, it's it's been my walk-up song ever since I could do a walk-up song with Matt one time doing the Backyard Wrestling Show. And that song, and by the way, that was in high school, not recently. Um, that song is Why Can't We Be Friends? I really think it's an important thing for me and the pitcher to just understand that we're on the same side here. Whether I hit the ball, whether you strike me out, we're just having fun. So, time, so right? is this a Simpsons reference here with uh, with Homer coming out on in the boxing ring? I mean, isn't everything a Simpsons reference, Alex? <laughs> it will be for us, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yes, I actually did have my walk-up music for a wrestling show be that song. It was fantastic. All right, our final set here is the question of the week or the trivia of the week. Um, Alex gave us a great one. He's our, our statistician here. His question, what NBA team 
is the only team to be first in their conference heading into the All-Star break and trade their leading scorer at the trade deadline. All right, that's a a lot right there. I'm going to repeat it one more time. What NBA team is the only team to be first in their conference heading into the All-Star break and trade their leading scorer at the trade deadline? Your options are the Trailblazers, the Atlanta Hawks, the Orlando Magic, or the Dallas Mavericks. Once again, Blazers, Hawks, Magic, or Mavericks. Can we dive into how silly that is for a team to do? (laughs) For for you to be in first place and essentially trade your best player at the trading deadline. That's just... (laughs) I mean, how could you be that dumb? But well, yeah, this it team depends on what you get back, doesn't it? This team did it, and um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see who it is. Interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to finding out the answer to this. I don't know it myself. Um, I definitely have my thoughts, and I'm going to be sure to to let myself know my thoughts on our Twitter page. That Twitter page is that's right. It's it's a mouthful, but let's all get to learn it at the hard cap cast. Also, we're going to be on Instagram at the same, uh, at <clears throat> part of me at the hard cap cast as well. So be sure to look out for us there. Um, but that is it for this evening. I think we had a great show guys. I, I, I had a great ton of fun myself. Um, I, I hope you guys did too. And, um, and you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it to, uh, to Chris to, uh, to walk us out here. Chris, go ahead. Hey, let's hope, computer. uh, Let's hope. No, you know what? Don't be asking for money, Alex. Okay. All right. No, we don't. That's not what we're here for. Um, I hope that uh, other people enjoy this as much as we did. Um, not sure who's going to listen to it. Probably just our families, uh, but they love us, so they have no choice. Uh, and with that, I uh, thank everybody who did listen. Thank you, guys. That was a good time. Alex, Peter. Way to go. Nice job. Only gave us positive feedback. Thank you. Again, thanks for listening in. Uh, a few corrections we need to make. Uh, Jordan scored 63 points, not 62 points, against the Boston Celtics in the playoffs. That is uh, still an all-time playoff high. Um, also, forgot to mention that Will Chamberlain's 100-point game is the all-time NBA high for uh, a single game during the regular season. Uh, And also, although it's neither confirmed or denied that Steve Kerr punched uh, Jordan, (laughs) the official story goes uh, that Jordan punched Steve Kerr. He actually, uh, you know, gave him a call afterwards and apologized for it. They got over it and they went 72 and 10 that season. So I think, uh, you know, that kind of lit the fire for the whole team, hopefully. But Hope to have you guys listen in in the future, and uh, uh, thanks for listening to this one. Take care.